All right, welcome to another podcast from Faith Baptist Church in Visalia. My name is Eric Northuck, and I am one of the pastors here. And uh, this podcast is all about who God is and how that should affect us and how we should live in light of who He is. And, and so we want to talk about all things that are related to uh, God's purposes for us and for the church. And today we have an opportunity to do that with Joseph Rios, who is with us today. Joseph, welcome. Glad to be here. And Joseph is going out into the into the mission field as a, a military chaplain in serving the soldiers. And so he'll be leaving when? I will be leaving on the 11th. On the 11th of this month, and you'll be gone for how long? Three months. I should be returning on December 14th. Okay, so Joseph is going off to the mission field, and this Sunday I want to... We're going to take some time to to send him off and to pray for him as he goes. But I thought it would be interesting to interview Joseph and find out what he's doing and why why he's doing it. So begin to begin with Joseph. You are you're a graduate from TMS. You and I went to TMS together, and you you got your MDiv there at TMS. Graduated, I think it was a year after yes. I did. Yeah. And so I've known you. When did I, when did I first meet you? I'm I'm trying to remember. How did I first meet you? Do you remember? Yes. So I had just become a an intern at a nearby church, and so I needed to rent out what I was using to live in when I went to seminary, which was a 32 foot travel trailer. And and I'd actually talking or spoken with a, a couple of people before I met you, but when I met you, I met someone who knew the ins and outs of what they were going to have to be dealing with in light of that, and who happened to already be in something of a very small trailer for the amount of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was kind of an upgrade. So Yeah, we're upgrading, you know, seven kids in our mortar home. Uh, we're upgrading to your trailer. Right. And so yeah. it was the process of, of that where we met each yeah. other, and then uh, and then we, we developed a relationship going yeah. from there. Uh, and then... You were an intern at at the church up there in Land, Land it was in Lancaster, right? Correct. It's a yeah. Roosevelt Community Church, Roosevelt, right? In Lancaster, the the teaching pastor there is is Brian Murphy, who's Who, one of the teachers at the Master Seminary. Right, he was our our well, he was primarily Hebrew. We both had him for Hebrew, yes, and I think had him for another class. But yeah, I really appreciated his Hebrew. Foundations of Pastoral Ministry. Yeah, foundations, that's right, right. And then during the COVID era, which I'm not convinced is over, (laughs) the the COVID-19 era, when they shut down the church, we kind of, in a sense, launched our own church during that time, right? Yes, so you got, I I showed up late, uh, which is my habit, apparently, between the two of us, but the... We started gathering together at the property that you were living on that I had lived on prior, and yeah. and there were more people. For example, the Taylors were there mm-hmm. as well. Donald and Shonda, which the, our, our church is familiar with, some of us. Are yes. Familiar with them. Yeah. And so we and we started gathering together, and and just as uh, as it got going, someone up and left, and and came to this church, which yeah. as the habit continued, I came late. Yeah. Yeah, so Joseph followed 
me up here. It was a little. It was over a year later, right after you graduated, and then and then you came up here, and so. But you did. You did finish. You got your your MDiv, and then you, in the process of figuring out what to do, you also became a chaplain in which which branch? The army. The army, and that that that's pretty recent. Yes. So the the process started about a year ago, if not a little bit sooner or later than that. So. I'm prior enlisted. For those of you who are not familiar with military references, what that means is that I was in the Army before, but as opposed to being an officer, which a chaplain will be, I was, I was a grunt. Specifically, I was in the infantry. And so based on some of the decisions I made on how I was going to leave the military, my first go around, I just really had never imagined. I had bad dreams about it. But I never imagined I'd actually enter back into the, the military. I didn't think I was going to be able to, to be honest. And then I started talking to a recruiter after I had graduated. And I thought about how the lack of spiritual support that I had and counsel, particularly biblical counsel, was a reason why it would make a lot of sense for me, especially having the experiences that I had before, to be of use to the, the soldiers in the army, to be a, a light where there's often not much light, if any at all. And so mm. I saw it as an opportunity to be in a solution to what I perceived to be a problem. As opposed to complaining about the problem, I sought to do something about it. Yeah. And so that's how I made the decision to to join the army as a chaplain. And there there is a lot of complaining about it, isn't there? <laughs> There's right. a lot a lot of fear and worry about what's going on in this country and where our military is going and and are there even good men and how dark it is. And so you chose to instead of complain to go ahead and enter into the darkness and do something about it. Right. And I want to ask you some more specific questions about that. Uh, before I do that, let me let me just ask you what, what what you've joined the church here. You've been here for a few months now. What what have you been doing around here? What has been your your role? How how have you been serving here, our Church Faith Baptist here in Visalia? Okay, so that's a that's a few questions, and so I'll, I'll try mm-hmm. to separate it so that it makes sense. As far as like I work here. And my primary focus in working here is the cleaning of the facility and the maintenance and renovation of it. And so, for example, I put the floors in that are in the the foyer and that mediating hallway between the chapel and the main worship area. And with the help of some wonderful men like, like Eric. Not me. I appreciate the compliment. Eric Kitchen. (laughs) And, and Bob Everhart, I've, I've, I was able to make it really with their help, yeah. what it is now. And if you see any mistakes, it's probably me, not them. Yeah. But, and so things like that, kind of clearing out some spaces that haven't been being used and so that way they can be used. So yeah. for example, the office that we're sitting in to work on this podcast has been converted into an office 
So then that way the room, which hasn't seen much use in over the years, has become useful. And so we can be glorifying God with not just merely the possession of the church, but the use of the building. Yeah, I'll just uh, jump in just a minute. Regarding the facility maintenance, or the facility remodeled, these... Um, this remodel project in the in the lobby, the church voted on. It's been, I don't know if it's been two years or three years, when the, there was a vote to to remodel the, the lobby, and then there was a vote. To, there, there's a couple other things that have been voted on by the by the church body, and and it was it was difficult to get things done. And so the the deacons ag- agreed to, or thought it would be wise to bring on somebody who could do these these projects in house, and, and at least could facilitate it, so we can get done what we, you know, what, what the congregation had asked us to do. And so that's you know you've been very very helpful. It's been great to have these projects that have been piling up that have been voted on, and then all of a sudden they're 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 getting done, and we're. we're I don't know if we're halfway through it yet. There's still there's some other. The church voted on on doing some things in the auditorium, and I, I think new projectors, some lighting, and then also our, our our cameras, our security system. So there's still some work. So maybe we're halfway through those things. And so Joseph has been very helpful in that, and then also the the cleaning, and the just organizing, and trying to get the facility into into ship shape. We've got a lot more work to go, but I've been happy with the results. And, uh, you know, so anyway. So, yeah. to, to, and then to elaborate, you know, the ways I've been serving. So I've been, I've always had a passion and this would make sense in light of what I'm doing in terms of mission and, and chaplaincy. But I've always, since I've come to faith, I had an urgent sense of the need to proclaim the gospel and to make Christ known uh, to unbelievers and exhort those to, who have heard him to uh, repent and submit in light of his, his kept promises. And so I, I've been involved or kind of heading up a lot of the evangelism. By no means am I the only person doing it. We, you know, uh, your son Mike is going to be helping me out with it while I'm gone, but we do our our... Tuesday evangelism, we do door-to-door around the neighborhood because I think that our neighbors should know who we are. And and then on Saturday, we go down to downtown now. We've started off in the mall, but then they they didn't want the gospel there. And then, and then we went to the farmer's market, and then they didn't want the gospel there. And it's kind of a gray area in terms of public and private use of property. But there's no gray area when it comes to downtown. Hmm. So... We have taken advantage of that, and that's where we do our, our primary Saturday efforts. Yeah, and I've, I've really enjoyed that. You know, it was when we were in the mall, one of the ladies had, had a security guard come up to her and, and, and tell her that, you know, you, you guys can't be passing out religious material and sharing the gospel. And, and I'll never forget what, what she did. She says, oh, okay, and then she, she's like, can, can I ask you a question? Or, or maybe she had the... The living water, you know, where you, you it's you, an optical illusion. Optical illusion, which one's bigger? <laughs> right. She just and then she, she started witnessing. She just started her. sharing the gospel with a security guard, <clears throat> and and I think it it took him by surprise, and and he was drawn into this discussion, 
and 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 forced to confront his own his own spiritual need and and then it was like this moment where he's like wait 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 hold on a minute I'm supposed to be <laughs> supposed right. to be kicking him out like what's going on here and that and I remembered that because when we went to the farmers market I had the the lady the manager of the market come up and do the same thing to me and I remembered what you know what had happened in the mall and she said well you can't be doing this and I said oh okay well let me ask you a question and then I just started sharing the gospel and it was the same thing just she was drawn in to that conversation and and forced to confront the gospel and I, and anyway it's just been successful and I I just you know when we were kicked out of the mall and we were kicked out of the farmers market each one of those uh opportun- were opportunities where the gospel has gone out and even on the streets when we share the gospel you know I tell people the goal is conversations not conversions a lot of people will think that oh if you it doesn't it's not successful it doesn't work because people aren't bowing the knee and, and giving their lives to Christ. Well, we live in a very dark time, but the gospel is working. It's always working, right? You would agree with that. Absolutely. Even when we're kicked out of the mall or kicked out of farmer's market and, and you go door to door and we've had doors slammed in our face. I think in terms of you know the right mentality and evangelism, you need to be prepared for Jeremiah's ministry. And I think that if you're prepared for that, in terms of not producing repentance and, and people that are committing to the worship of Yahweh, and, and in our sense, incarnate Christ, if you're not committed to the, the glory that it brings God apart from His work in their lives, then it's easy to get discouraged or easy to be yeah. afraid or easy to you know wander off in some kind of pragmatic solution that gets people to say yes, but may very well not bring about true conversion. Yeah, And so... I mean, that's I've I've always kind of lived there, in terms of you know having that expectation that maybe nobody comes, but that's God's work, not mine. My job is to be faithful. Yeah. And so so beyond that, we started up this this Wednesday evening where we have you know the people in the church get together, and we enjoy fellowship and food, and then we we've been going through the sermons through the fundamentals of the faith, which is a class has been being taught on on Saturday, and that's been very good because... You uh, mean it, Sunday morning? Yeah, sorry, Sunday, Sunday morning. Yeah, yeah, Thank yeah, you. Yeah. That's been going on Sunday morning. It's been good to, to be able to do that because I think that the we should try to be around each other during the week and spend time with each other. It's easier, especially for those of us who have you know issues in our lives, for people to know about them if we are around them, but as well as though we can love each other we can talk about the true things concerning God. We can learn more about them. And I think that the opportunity to have a little bit of discourse, to have some discussion concerning the things that we're learning helps us have it a little bit more thoroughly understood. There's a tendency sometimes when somebody teaches for you know, 20, 30 minutes and there's no opportunity to talk that a person could silently disagree, not have an opportunity to say something and just walk away thinking, well, we disagree but wouldn't it be better if we could work it out in the discussion? And so not everybody's forced to do that, so don't be afraid to show up, please. Yeah, and and, and along with that, in that format, it's perfectly okay to disagree, right. you know, to, to bring up points. And and we've had some of those discussions, I think, and, and <laughs> some people find that I'll go, the worst sin of our day, right, is to disagree. You do not disagree with someone. Uh, it's just not nice to disagree. Uh, but that doesn't actually help sharpen us. I really do enjoy 
the conversations that end up sharpening where there is there is a disagreement but it forces you to think and we can do that in a way that is that is mature right it's not you know getting angry because you disagree with me but rather forcing us to think and to be able to present why we believe what we believe much you know in, in, a, in, a, in a more logical way and sharper sharpen our thinking right so. and sometimes you know you don't realize that the person sitting right next to you not necessarily at the the front who's guiding the dis- this discussion has a lot to say and may know a lot, know a lot and you have another resource you can go to so it's just been a very good time of fellowship and food yeah. and 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 theology and talking about who God is because the more we know who he is the better worship we are worshipers we are of him yeah. and so those are those are the things that i've been doing so my, between my work and, and in terms of serving and ministry, I'm also, you know, the husband of one wife and the father of three children. And so they keep me busy when I'm not here doing this. And so there, there are those things too. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, going back to the fact that I'm going to be leaving for a period of time. That's one of the things I'm not looking forward to is, is not being around my wife and children for the next three months. Yeah. Well, I, you know, we, we've talked about evangelism, and I think that we could do an entire podcast on that, and we should. We've talked about the need for fellowship. That's another podcast. But you are leaving for three months, and so this is this podcast is about well, about why you would do that. Why would you leave and go leave your family for three months and go? Where are you going to North Carolina? South Carolina. South, South Carolina. Fort Jackson. Fort Jackson, South Carolina. What, what, why would you do that? Okay, so the military. There's a there's a saying, and it's not it's less pounded on now than it used to be. But the saying used to go that if uh, the military or the army wanted you to have a wife, they would have issued you one. Hmm. And so and so hmm. they're not invited. <laughs> That's the only reason why I'm not going with them. But but really, so what I'm going to do specifically for the next three months is become what's called MOS qualified. And the army and MOS is your job. Mine's a chaplain. The qualification is the the course in which they try to teach you or me how to be the army's kind of chaplain. And so if, if you have any experience in life, you know there's different chaplains who have uh, different, in sense, areas of expertise. There are, so, there are sometimes hospital chaplains. There are hospice chaplains. There are chaplains that can be for a team in sports as well as ones that can be for, you know, like law enforcement or fire department, first responders. And so what I'm doing very specifically has to do with the Army. And what that entails is basically being spiritual care, uh, but doing it in a way that is cooperative with the Army's goals. And so there can be tension there sometimes, especially if the the individual in the army who is in charge of the unit that your the chaplain is working at has a different idea of what spiritual care should look like. Regardless, my responsibility mm-hmm. is to first honor God, then country, which is one of the reasons why who you have as your ecclesiastical endorser, that is the one who the army goes to to see whether or not you're qualified to be a chaplain. 
it's a kind of a middle agency that makes sure that you're, you know, the one I'm with anyways, make sure I'm part of a church that I'm, that I'm the, that I'm the husband of one wife, that my children are rebellious. They talk to different people like, you know, my pastor and other men that have been involved mm. in my life, like deacons and things like that yeah. to verify whether or not I meet the qualifications of somebody who should be a chaplain from a biblical perspective, but not all endorsing agencies are that way. Yeah. Yeah, no, I did receive a call from your your agency asking those questions, which 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 I appreciated that, that they're vetting you. Uh, so I want to ask you about you mentioned the tension between God and government, uh, but before I do that, uh, you're 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 going um, as a reserve, not right. as active. What's the difference there? Okay, so if I was active duty uh, when I finished the school, then I would be likely on a base and the unit that I'm with is who I would spend my day in day out time with as a reservist. I meet up with the guys one week in a month, two weeks a year. And that means that I have less time with them than, than I ordinarily would, which makes my time with them a lot more important for me to be paying attention and getting to know them. Hmm. And so, for example, this this last annual training where I was gone for my two weeks, I had at least three different opportunities to give biblical counsel because that's the only kind of counsel I give. I, on one Sunday, had the opportunity to preach, let's see, twice. So when you preach, are you able to pretty much say whatever... You, you want to say in that context? In a sense. So this I'll, I'll bring up the idea of my endorser maybe more times as we talk about tension between God and government because they're pivotal in terms of whether or not I have protection to say things. So just to give you kind of an example, the expectation should be from a military perspective that when I communicate, I'm communicating in line with what the ecclesiastical endorser has put forth. And so, for example, their doctrinal statement at that point becomes very important. So the I'll give you an example. Point number one on their doctrinal statement is the creation of man by a direct act of God. This means that you can't hold to an evolutionary view and be part of this endorser, endorsing agency. Okay, so you're going in as a reserve, and you said one weekend a month is your ongoing. Once mm-hmm. you get past this three-month training, that's going to be the norm. Is that is that... Did I get that right? One weekend a month. Right. Uh, and then two weeks a year. Right. Is the normal. But, but I, the opportunities you have are because you're endorsed by a certain endorser, it gives you the freedom. Is that, is that, to, that right? to say certain things. To say certain so things. So I'll give you, okay. I'll, let me give you one of the, the most clear examples. So the, 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 my, chat, my endorsing agency is Associated Gospel Churches and. In their mandated policies, which is mandated for me, in talking about the issue of gender, mm-hmm. which is interesting because, and this is one of the reasons why I desired to change endorsing agencies because I did not start with the one that I have, is that I wanted to make sure that my view, if I stated my views, then they would protect me because they're the ones who get behind me if I deal with somebody being upset and trying to go through official routes. 
But their their section on gender is great. So there's a few paragraphs that precede this in terms of biblical argument. But this is what it says at the end of it. Resolved that we oppose all efforts to validate transgender identity as morally acceptable or praiseworthy, that we will tactfully address all persons by their God-given gender. And be it finally resolved, we lovingly counsel and guide a person to accept that their birth sex and gender is a testimony of the truth of God's design for them, regardless of their sincere feelings, self-perception, or self-identity. And we proclaim that Scripture teaches that what Scripture teaches about God's design for us as male and female persons created in His image and for His glory, according to the teaching of Scripture affirmed in this document. Okay, so what you're saying is that because this is the the endor you're endorsing organization, the Association of Churches or whatever gospel churches, gospel churches that because that is in their doctrinal statement, you have more freedom now. You 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 have to, well, you have to hold to that standard. So they've endorsed you, and and then now you're allowed to say that there is only male and female. There's no such so thing as transgender. I, I cannot violate their policies or right. doctrinal statement. Right. So I am actually. It's not in one sense. It's not that I'm allowed to. In one sense, it's that I have to. Right. Because they're my endorser. But if I had an endorsing agency that wasn't so specific on certain issues, and I said a thing mm-hmm. like that. And they decided, well, that's not part of our stuff, so we're not going to back you. I would get hung out to dry, and that could be a serious issue. It could be a legal issue for me. And so what endorsing agency a chaplain has has everything to do with what they can and can't or what they're expected to say in terms of the truths of Scripture. And so that's one of the reasons why after I had initially gained entry through a different agency, I decided to pursue this one because... I wanted to make sure that when I did get into a conversation, which was a day one on transgenderism, I was protected. Hmm. And so what I did when on that day one, somebody asked me, so, so what's your thoughts on transgenderism? And I kind of like laughed. I was like, so you're just trying to get me in trouble, right? He goes, no, 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 I just want to know what you have to think about it. And I could tell I had to use some discernment because I had not transitioned over yet. I had to use some discernment in trying to evaluate, well, is this where I, you know, do I, do I, do I, do I sink the ship before it gets away from port? Hmm. And so. So you, you could have, you, you're thinking in that moment, I could blow this whole thing right now by what I say. Right. And, and if anybody knows you or sorry, and if, like, like you know me, and if, if anybody else does, uh, the answer is, okay, well, then I guess that's what I'm doing. And so I and so, told, so I told you, you chose you chose to be, hey, if this, if, if it's, this blows up, well, then this is what I'm going to do. I, I have to be faithful to what God teaches and deal with the consequences. So, but, but your endorsing organization is also mandating that you say that. Now they are. The one I had when I had this conversation Oh, I see. Did okay. Not. So you had the other endorsing. No. So, that, so at that time, you were, I you was were out a on a limb. You were, you were taking a risk. Okay. So okay. now the conversation would be, would be not necessarily different, but, it, you, but you would have... It could still blow up, because right. you still have these crazy 
things that are coming down. I mean, we have military generals now who are transgender. Right. Right. And they're getting all this. It's just crazy that you know, it's a laughing stock, if you ask me. Well, and you, so there's a lot of pressure to not speak up against this. Yeah. So what a lot of people don't understand is that in terms of groups that are in the military, because you've got, you know, different types of jobs being, you know, somebody could be in artillery, somebody could be infantry, somebody could be in HR. There's a lot of different kinds of jobs you can do in the military. The first job that, as it were, that there was is the infantry. Mm. The second is a chaplain. The whole point that Washington had in mind with with chaplains in the military was that our, we would have good Christian soldiers. Hmm. And so when it's when I'm going through training in for being a chaplain, not this this more rigorous training I'm about to go to, but other training I, I had taken a couple months ago, I they leave that part out. Hmm. They they just talk about how you know, George Washington instituted this. We're the, you know, we're the second in terms of, you know, as a job. But they leave out that it was for Christian soldiers. And that's just a historical statement. The irony is that it seems that if you want to be holding to a consistent Christian worldview, say things that were normal to say 50 to 80 years ago, then they want anything but that kind of soldier. And that's more, I think that has more to do with the military being influenced by the culture as opposed to having a place where it kind of norms the culture in terms of our view of our country and and how we ought to be good citizens and be willing to defend our kinsmen in that way, which are normal biblical concepts. But, but as we move farther and farther as a culture from a Christian worldview, my job gets clearer and clearer in terms of what I need to do and the importance of it. So we're, we're, we're full on into this discussion of balancing responsibility to God and government now. And so let me just, let me just throw this out there, playing devil's advocate. Why, you know, what balancing God and government, like the government, you're, you're in a government job, isn't government secular? Like, why should we be concerned about having Christian soldiers? Well, what does that what does it have to do with the secular work of defending the country? Biblically speaking, secular is not a you not a concept. You have either you're a worshiper of Yahweh or you're a worshiper of false gods. And so I think that one of the things that would help the discussion move along is to get rid of this secular category. When we see the application of believers in Yahweh in the Old Testament, they were soldiers also. The men were expected to go out to war to take the promised land. And so this idea that, that we don't want to have belief, I mean, do you want to have unbelieving soldiers who have no basis for ethics in terms of war, who or, are or justice, or justice, right, right. Right. right? Who are not willing to stand up for what's right, even though they're order being ordered to do what's wrong. And we've heard horrible things about soldiers who just go, you know, slaughtering whole villages and things like that. Like, right, like the yeah. the you know you've got the 
you know, people with necklaces and with ears or teeth. Yeah. No, it's it's happened. Right. It's been documented. Right. Yeah. And whole, so you, whole, whole villages slaughtered. Right. And so, yeah. the, like, do you want Christian soldiers or those ones? Yeah. And so the the but more than that, I mean, like when I was doing my my annual training, I hadn't anticipated this. Although having talked to other chaplains afterwards, they didn't seem surprised. But there were, I don't know, it seemed like every other day I was counseling someone. And if not the same person, more than once. And so there were, you know, not to be getting into specifics, I deal with things like people who have suicidal thoughts, who there's one soldier who was concerned about his fiance, who was five months pregnant, murdering her child through the process of abortion. And, and he couldn't have the kind of conversation with her that he needed to have with her over the phone and text. And so I had the opportunity to get involved in terms of making a recommendation for his, for his spiritual health and, and mental well-being that, that he leave hmm. the training sooner. So he could go be with her and help her right. do the right so thing. He, yes. Yeah. And so, and so it's interesting because the way I have to, I, the way I present it influences the outcome to a degree, the, his, the, even my, the, my, my overseeing the people who are above me in terms of the, the, the battalion have to be convinced it's in the battalion's best interest to send the soldier home. Hmm. And so how it's presented on my part has to consider that because ultimately I am first and foremost under the battalion commander and the XO, the executive officer. And those are who I report to. And those are who I'm trying to assist in the process of encouraging the, the spiritual well-being of all the soldiers. And so I am also religious counsel for them. So if I got deployed and we're in another country, I one of my jobs is to be aware of the local religious issues so that that way I can give counsel to the people making the decisions in terms of how these issues might affect the mission. Hmm. And so my job is still to move the mission forward. Yeah. But my primary focus is on the, the well-being, the sp- particularly the spiritual well-being of the soldiers. Hmm. This discussion... Then we talk about God and government and you being ministering to the spiritual well-being of the soldiers. It isn't, I know it isn't valued much in our day, but we're really talking about authority, right? Because you, you said there's no such thing as secular. And that's true. There is no such thing as secular. What we're talking about is authority. And when you're when you are counseling these soldiers, what you're doing is you're bringing the the authority from God that they they need to listen to they you know it's God is the one who institutes all authority and uh, right like so why you know when this, this whole idea of secular whatever you know that this the the term we hear in our day is Christian nationalism well what does that mean so there are some good points that people on the Christian nationalist side bring up, and they're very similar to the points that I brought up in terms of would you prefer Christian soldiers or non-Christian soldiers, yeah. right? Would you pre- prefer Christian politicians or non-Christian politicians? And if you are not sure about that, then look, you know, at you know, in various states like California or Michigan, 
in terms of what some of the government has done there in a more liberal place, or even Hawaii most recently, where the government is suggesting that they buy up or they get all the land that was burned? Or do you want somebody who has biblical values? And those are good points to make. I mean, of course we would prefer that. The I think the, the error is on the emphasis of that's a way that we accomplish the goal of of Christ, which I think is should be the, the focus should be on the gospel and proclaiming the gospel. And while people that hold a Christian nationalist position, in my experience, are not, you know, they're not forsaking the gospel. It seems to be that the overwhelming emphasis is on the the means to accomplish the work. And so the Great Commission is to make disciples. And so if if that does make our and I think that you know if all the churches everywhere were to be faithful in proclaiming the gospel, the true gospel, the gospel of grace, then there may very well be a change in our culture that would have an effect on our government. Hmm. But it's not about trying to, you know, strategically gain a an advantage in living circumstance, so then that way the gospel can go forth. The gospel is the power. It doesn't need help. Right. And so I think that the emphasis that is often put forward on the Christian nationalist side, it risks undervaluing the, the primary act of bringing the kingdom, which is just proclaiming the gospel. Yeah. So Christian nationalism... Is the, is really it's kind of a, a bit a bit hard to pin down exactly what it is, but it seems to be shaping up to be this idea that somehow we can take back the country by what voting in the right people who are Christians, like, like somehow we can uh, there, there's power in, in 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 taking over the politics and in the post millennials who believe that we can so so Christianize this world that... It's the idea of ushering in the kingdom through right. our practical efforts right. in evangelism and in life. And so the I think that in a lot of ways, the Christian nationalist movement mirrors in practice post-millennial eschatology. And they treat those who would would not uh, share their their view as pessimistic, which is often what's associated with people who hold to a pre-millennial eschatology and that you're just waiting for it to burn. And so it's really interesting because I think it, in one sense it's an overreaction to people not being involved. And we should, as Christians, as human beings, be involved in our community. The word politics has to do with the people. We should have opinions on the people and politics, and it should be informed by a Christian worldview. I think it's an overreaction to the idea that ends up happening in a lot of churches where it's, you know, us for no more shut the door, right? Like it's about us and our people and not about what's going on around us. And there, there, there seems to be this kind of overswinging the pendulum hmm. to the other side, which becomes a more pragmatic approach. And so there needs to be a focus on the, the priorities. So I'm not overly fond of suggesting balance per se, Right, between um, God and, and, and government. Is right, that what or yeah. well, between that or even like in, in this topic, you know, I think that it's just having right priorities, and you can be right. all for that, right? right. You know, the, the, you know, 
you know, one of the most stable positions you can have is, you know, with proper leg width apart standing there. But that is not the best position to be in if you're trying to sprint. Hmm. If you're trying to sprint, you need to be leaning forward and pushing off the ground because it's the direction you're going. And so the idea of being the most balanced may not be what's best for the Depending operation. what you're doing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that we need to be zealous in terms mm-hmm. of the gospel. Right. But also willing to engage the culture in terms of what does the Bible have to say with what I see what's in right, right. in front of me. Right. So we're, you know, th- this whole discussion of God in government and you being a spiritual authority in the lives of these soldiers, this is not the same thing as Christian nationalism. This is not this is not saying that, you know, we're we're gonna go ahead and, and, and we're gonna you know, I remember it was it was Vlock who would always said, you know, feet on the Jesus needs feet on the ground to bring in the, the kingdom. It, you need you need Christ as king on the throne, stepping down in this earth before he brings in the millennial type of justice and reality. So we're we're not trying to create a millennial kingdom. And I think that's what you're saying. The fundamental flaw of Christian nationalism is it's 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 a it's a millennialism of some sort. You know it's also it's it's the with the wrong goal or end in mind. I mean ultimately and so I'll I'll step back for a second. I think it's perfectly acceptable to hold office as a Christian. Yeah. I think it's good. If you're in a position to do that, I would much prefer you as a Christian to do that than than somebody else. And in a sense, it was the Congress had to take part in me becoming an officer in the military. And so I I have that kind of, in a sense, official capacity. The so that's not the problem, but like what am I trying to accomplish? And so I have a very simple goal that I'm trying to accomplish, which is to is to for the soldiers to have peace. But the only way to have peace is to be reconciled to God through Christ. Yeah. And so because I have that, it's there are there are some people who have the role that I'm that I'm in who think that means just making them feel better about the circumstance. Yeah. And so while I think tending to those kinds of things in a conversation can be helpful and good, my goal is that they have true peace, not not this temporary I feel better about myself. But I know that regardless of the circumstance, I will be able to come out the other side because my trust is in the immovable, perfect one, the, the, the king of all creation, the sovereign controller. The, I think that uh, there's, a, there's a tendency to, to be too wrapped up in, you know, how does he get through this in the moment? The, I mean, even in giving counsel, I, I, I need to make sure that what I'm not doing is compromising what God has said to bring somebody along regardless of their beliefs. And so right. I, I, am, I am very explicit in terms of like, so the things I'm going to say have to come from what I believe because this is what the Bible teaches. Yeah. Because, and because God's in charge of all things. Right. And so I, st- I, I, I often start off my conversation that way because I want there to be no ambiguity that what I'm telling you in terms of, you know, propositional truth concerning yeah. the scripture is not a matter of opinion. Right. This is what is. While I still might offer some practical solutions in terms of how to handle circumstances or interpersonal conflict, ultimately when I'm saying what is, this is true, I need to be making sure that I'm not 
as concerned for my longevity in my job as I am for God being properly represented right. on the basis of what he said. Right, and, and this is exactly where I was driving at. What we're talking about here is a biblical theology of God and government. All authority is derived from God. God is the one who is, who is the true authority and power. And, and because all authority is derived, God instituted government, which means Romans 13 is all about us submitting to a government who is submitting to the authority of God. Mm-hmm. And, and so th- this, is, this is what it comes down to. Being a chaplain is bringing the authority of God to bear on the lives of those soldiers. And so there is no such thing as secular. Like w- what, what you need to do and what you're doing is you are pointing people in the military, in your case, in the army, to the authority of God. Right. And, and that means that when it comes down to when the government says, well, you can't say this and you can't say that, you have to do, you have to make a choice in that moment. Am I going to, am I going to obey, obey God who is the actual authority or right. am I going to, am I going to obey man? Right. right. I think the passage, you, you know, they left for joy because they were considered worthy of suffering for the, yeah. the sake of Christ is, and has been in the past, a, a source of comfort for me. So it allows me to go forward knowing that my goal is not to pursue practical outcomes. My goal is to be faithful in the circumstance and let God determine the outcome. Yeah. Uh, because first off, I don't have a choice. Using the word let there is, is, is just poor. My, 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 my lack of ability to always speak properly of God, I don't let him do anything. Right. But... But that's my my job is to to represent God in that circumstance, and so my position in the army is very unique in that my job is specifically to be a religious person, mm-hmm. and so in in one sense I have a lot of latitude that others might not because it's not their job. Mm-hmm. And in another sense, especially in our in our modern day, this wouldn't have been an issue twenty years ago, but in our modern day. I, I have to be cognizant of the fact that I could be stepping on a landmine, mm-hmm. but recognizing simultaneously that it's the Lord who directs my steps. Yeah. Acts right. chapter 5, where the apostles are jailed, <clears throat> and then <clears throat> and the officers come, and, and they, well, they, they go before the, the Sanhedrin, in Acts 5, verse 28, and the Sanhedrin and the high priest question them, and then they say, uh, verse 28, we strictly command you not to continue teaching in this name, and yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Verse 29, but Peter and the apostles answered and said, we must obey God rather than men. And uh, and then they went to to pronounce condemnation on them because... They, they put Jesus to death, and they're rejecting Jesus, but then also to proclaim the gospel, he grants repentance and forgiveness of sins. And that's the mission, right? That's the mission, whether you're in the chaplaincy or you're not in the chaplaincy. Yeah, so the, 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 one of the unique things about what I'm doing with it is that I get to do what I do when I'm not there. There, I just I wear a uniform... And also there's other things that I get to do, like 
get to be counsel for some of the some of the officers and the non commissioned officers in terms of like their interpersonal conflicts. Mm-hmm. And but nobody has any confusion as to what I believe. One of the best compliments I think I got by a number of people and for different reasons was that like we've never met a chaplain like you before. Hmm. And to one of them I replied, that's because I actually believe the book that I say I believe. Hmm. And I act like it's true. And that is so desperately needed in the military. So desperately. Because these chaplains, a great majority of them are compromising on that. I think a lot of them are. I met a guy uh, at some training who was considering switching endorsers, and particularly to the one that I'm part of. And, And he was moving out of the SBC, which is an endorsing agency also because of his concern with the compromise of uh, the Southern Baptist Convention, especially in light of things like the ERLC, mm. which is their functionally leftist arm. And, and so he was looking for another endorsing agency he could be a part of, so that way he could be faithful. And so there's guys that are... So like there, there's maybe three kinds of guys. You know, there's, there's the kind who are faithful, the kind who are unfaithful, and then there's the guys who are really struggling to try to maintain being faithful, although they might have too much of a concern, in my opinion, for men over God. I think it's a lot easier not to struggle to be faithful when that's not a problem. But you have to come with that mentality. And this is true of us when we're you know, not at being a chaplain in the Army. This is true in any job. This is true you know, when you're at the store the fear of men over the fear of God. Mm-hmm. And then there's other people who are just collecting a paycheck. And so they're in the ministry as it were, but clearly not the Christian one because they have a desire to gain. And so they'll, you know, give attaboy speeches and, and just try to make people feel better about their lives while never confronting them in their sin or confronting them with their need for Christ and the savior. Um, and they're just trying to get by and those are the those are the ones that that I have no sympathy for that I'm there those kinds of guys and I'm not I'm not saying there's a certain amount of them or a certain percentage of them they exist just like they do in ministry those are the yeah. ones that I'm hoping to expose in terms of are they really christian chaplains yeah yeah by being the contrast that's right by it, demonstrating what it should look like you need to be able to say we must obey God rather than men, as a, especially now in, in this day. So well, I'm going to ask you two more questions, and then we'll wrap it up. How can our listeners, how can we all as a church be praying for the military, and then specifically, how can we be praying for you? Okay, so for the military... That the, the men and women who profess the name of Christ in it would have a boldness and would not compromise in terms of their faith. Hmm. That's, what, that's what the military needs, and that they're willing to stick by their biblical convictions concerning the truth that is being so strongly attacked right now. It's constant and... and it's aggressive. 
And we need more people just saying what I think a lot of us already know to be true, but are afraid to say it because we're afraid of the consequences. And I just, I think the prayer for the military really is that the people who profess faith be faithful. For me in particularly, that that applies also, right? But I think in terms of, you know, the church and me saying, I'm going to be gone for a few months, pray that that my wife is is in a good way in terms of, you know, with our children and being involved with the church. And then pray that people in the church be faithful to to live out the one another's in, in terms of my family and that those who recognize that they can be involved act on it. My my greatest prayer is that my my wife be surrounded by the church while I'm gone because she needs it. And I think that the way God's gifted our church, that there are plenty of people who can edify her by being in her life and my lives and my children while I'm not here. All right. Good. Well said. We will commit to be praying for you and to be ministering to Alex, and I'm sure that others listening will as well. So thank you, Joseph. This has been an interesting discussion, and uh, Godspeed to you as you go. Thank you. All right, again, this has been a ministry of Faith Baptist Church in Visalia, and if you hear this, you're not part of our church, and you're in the area, come visit us, 9.30 for Sunday school and Sunday mornings, and 10.30 for our main service, and then 6 o'clock for our Sunday night service. We look forward to seeing you, and until next time. Thank you.